Welcome to Season 1, Episode 24 of Digital Dissection, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties. Role-playing games have quickly become one of the most well-received games of the entertainment industry and across many different mediums. We're big fans ourselves, but where did the journey begin? Who rolled the first dice? We're looking for answers and hope that we have the skill points necessary to find them. We're also taking two weeks to explore this topic to give it the time that it deserves. And before we start off on a quest that may take months to complete and use up the only living room table we have available, we are Chelsea, Joe, and Mark, three friends who love talking pop culture and bringing our passion for our favorite properties to your ears. If you did get here by accident today, though, try searching for us by typing in Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're not following podcast websites, you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter by searching at Digital Dissect One, our social media sites, share more pop culture news and current information. We're also on Instagram. And don't worry, all of our photos are tastefully done. So, uh, yeah, everyone, I think it's time to finally roll the damn dice here and start talking about uh, character classes and special abilities. Who is going to be the guy who's stuck burrowing and mm. who gets like the uh, the charisma bonus? Can I just say that like from day one, when I found out that I had to live with the constant status effect of lactose intolerance, it's like. <laughs> How do people play the game without that? Like, I just don't get it. I seriously don't. Well, yeah, it's it's basically a uh, a character bonus to just have cheese whenever you feel like it. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And all it does is, is is taste good. It doesn't really help you all that much, but you can just have it. Maybe just, a few health points. Maybe a few health points. It, it, it gets you a few hearts back. Yeah. <laughs> it's just salty fat is all it is, right? In mm-hmm. a cute form. Oh, delicious salty fat. the best fat. kinds of fats. Oh my gosh. Like, I'm not going to lie. Like, the, the, the quick trip um, pretzels with the jalapeno cheddar oh, in the middle. Like, oh my God. Oh, soft pretzels with, with cheese in the middle. If we have any listeners outside of the Midwest, a quick <laughs> yeah. trip is a gas station that has surprisingly good food. <laughs> I'm glad that you had included that asterisk there, Chelsea. <laughs> because oh, it okay, it's very important because is, like I recall yeah. like having gas station food not from Quick Trip and definitely regretting it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I was regretting it while buying it, but like, you know what? I will take the gamble that I'll just be like I'll get nourishment and not get poisoned later. Jokes on you, bitch poison. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's also not a flex because technically there are folks in 30 different countries who are actually listening to us now, which That's is true. Like a big thank you that I always like to put out there. But I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you may not know what Quick Trip is. No. Big so. fan of our one one dude or dudette in Denmark. <laughs> big fan of you. You are our personal coalition of the willing, and we're happy we have you. And speaking of the willing, we're happy you're joining us today as we do what we've done before with some of these topics. We're going to be digging into the history of the role-playing game, or the RPG as it's abbreviated. And just like we've done with some other dives before, I mean, Joe, you know just as well as Chelsea here that we don't just start with the stuff we remember. We go pretty far back, don't we? Oh, yeah. We look for the dream within the dream within the gut. Damn dream. 
Oh. <laughs> we go deep, is what I'm saying. Uh, yes. Because RPGs, as it turns out, have been along for a very long time. Typically on the um, on the show, we like to stick to a few like mediums, basically just movies, TVs, and video games. But really, like RPGs, like video games, like would not be a thing if it was not for tabletop gaming and a few other things. So to do them justice properly, we feel like we have to go back even further. Yeah, who wants to take a chance, or a, who wants to take a, a shot, rather, at how, how far back the origins of role-playing might go? Hmm. Well, I think about, like, Colosseum, ancient Rome days, you know, reenacting, like, battles and things like that. Yeah, I was only going as far back as the Oregon Trail, where they just tried <laughs> to figure out who would and would not die. That, that was the game. We, we always come back to dysentery on this show. I don't know how we do that. It's it's almost by design. I think that's trauma that you're yeah. pointing out. Mm -hmm. yeah, from right. from our many, many chances and go at the at the Oregon Trail. Because if it's, if the river doesn't get you, dysentery will. Oh yeah. We're we're not <laughs> water insecure anymore, guys. We don't have to worry about these things. But except deep ocean is scary. <laughs> there yeah. You very scary like yeah you don't know what's down there i mean I, science brain says don't be afraid but it's not known because there's no evidence that something bad is down there but at yeah. the same time deep ocean bigfoot you can't say it's not there i mean you know it's just an egg with cthulhu in it oh, oh. completely down there just waiting to get you deepest bluest seriously <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. oh ladies love cool james and they like deep blue sea even more <laughs> <laughs> don't worry you know what we say this a lot we're gonna get to it at some point we will look at deep blue sea but but the the origins of role-playing right like role-playing and role-playing games they sound like they're different things but really they're not okay mm -hmm. the very the very earliest uh times that we can attach history to from a role-playing perspective would be thespis back in good old 534 bc oh good year good year yeah, if you've got wine from 534 BC, probably just throw it out because you don't yeah. want to drink it. I mean, that's like that's well beyond like fermentation goodness there. Like, <laughs> if you're saving that for a special occasion, like use it to christen something instead. Like if yeah. you've got like even like a paddle boat, just go ahead and smack it right across the bow. Yeah, I was gonna say, even like a play school, like you know, home uh playground, you could smack it against that and be just yep. as good these days. But yeah, if you've got but, Lego yeah. pirate ships, don't do it with that. <laughs> You will ruin the Lego pirate ship. This cost way too much money to fuck around with like that. So even if you like saying to scale it down and go with like this tiny little thing of ginger ale, we'll still break the Lego pirate ship. <laughs> Speaking from experience. Sadly, I'm sure. yes. I'm sure. Well, <laughs> for those of you who have, have seen the name Thespis before, you're probably aware of where what the, the name Thespis is attached to, and that would be the word thespian. Um, you know, Joe, you have led many you know, school productions of plays, and you've heard the, the term thespian before. That's where we get it from. And this gentleman would uh, basically be known for reciting poetry from the back of a wooden cart, you know, back in the days where everybody wore sandals. And he would play the parts of different people while telling poetry. Oh. Not how I would spend an afternoon, but hey, this dude got well known for it. And that's... I mean, why not? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I like performing. I'd probably do it. 
I have a feeling that in 534 BC, you would have slapped those sandals on and scooted your ass down to the town square. Oh, hell yeah, I would have. <laughs> would even like found like togas that other people were wearing. I'm like, I'm gonna I'm cosplay the shit out of this today. <laughs> <laughs> have different like people's togas for like when I have to switch to different like poetry styles. Oh yeah, I'd have fun with that. <laughs> and you do it with an Irish accent, wouldn't you? Yeah, I mean, and they'd be like, where the hell is this guy from? <laughs> and you know what? I've never even heard of that before. Acting. That's what that is. <laughs> so, that's that's what we kind of draw some of this inspiration from, though, right? Mm -hmm. Like, the idea of role-playing lends into role-playing games. That's this is a good place to start. After that, though, uh, this whole idea of role-playing would really take on more of a militant structure. So if you've ever heard of the Han Dynasty... And I'm not talking about the dude from Fast and Furious who loves to eat in every scene he's in. <laughs> sad, sad, sad times. Love me some Han. Well, which I, mean, I guess I mean I I'm caught up on Fast Nine, so I'm totally like I guess I shouldn't even oh, pretend dude, to be sad. Come on! Oh, come it's on. in the previews. Come on, dude! It ah. is in the previews. There was a which also dumb thing to do is in the preview show that Han's alive. <sighs> come on! Come on! Well, for those of you who hate Joe now, you probably oh, got more than enough reasons to do it. It was this... in the first trailer for Fast Nine. <laughs> well, you you don't need spoiler alerts when you got family. Damn it. Okay. Okay. Uh, well, either way, the Han Dynasty. We're talking two hundred two BC. You know, the these folks were out there doing historical reenactments that were done for the sake of entertainment. So, okay. Um, so was there ever a, a portly little child who used the power of persuasion and peach schnapps to change the tide of the war reenactment? <laughs> Would, well, since schnapps wouldn't be created for roughly about 1800 years after that, he may not have appeared here, but okay, I, I, I like that's fair. Definitely referring to episodes we just covered in South Park. If you haven't been there, two glorious weeks episode. Guys. Oh my two gosh. <laughs> <laughs> so, Hopping back into the DeLorean for a few hundred years, all right? So, have uh, you guys ever heard of uh, a game called Chaturanga before? Wasn't that a Civil War battle? I feel Not like it's a yoga pose. <laughs> 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 or, a, or a pyramid in, in Central America. <laughs> well, we're not in the right area of the world at all, but in... <laughs> In, in 6th century in India. Uh, Ooh, so I kind of am in the right area Yeah, you were much well, more yeah, ballpark were, than I was. Yeah, Joe, Joe was not. <laughs> All over the place with mine. Well, this would actually be like the the early version of chess um, that would be used to simulate battles, right? Okay. Um, so ancient Indian warfare would actually be the early foundations of the chess playing that we would get for the next 100 years. Um, so once again, it's not the idea that we're necessarily developing role-playing games but it's mm -hmm. the idea of using role-playing as a means of um you know either telling history or um yeah using it to to plan things out i mean it's yeah and it, i mean when you're planning out for a war you got to put yourself in the mind in the role of your enemy and figure out what they're going to do and how they're going to come at you so this makes sense to me yeah exactly uh so th this idea would, would actually kind of continue on without really a whole lot of advancements, though, uh, literally up until the 1500s, okay? So have y'all ever heard of a term called Comedia dell'arte? No. Oh, no. Um, I almost completely heard Comedia wrong there and got really scared 
and we're going to leave it right there and not pick up too much more on it. So let's hear more about the dell'arte portion of it. Well, it, obviously this is an Italian term and really what it would represent was early theater, which would actually take place in the streets. So Ooh, street theater. Yeah, these street toughs, these, these Italian street toughs, just like our, our boy Thespis, they would take it to the streets, they would build up their own sets, and yeah, they would just be doing uh, acting right in the middle of the street for folks to observe and, oh, and check so out. It's kind of like when a, when a late night host gets a whole whole uh, crew together and then a red light goes into the crosswalk and tries acting at a scene until the red light's done. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. These were the James Corden of the, of the Renaissance era. They were just... <laughs> Going out there, getting shit done in the middle of the street. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but speeding things up a little bit here, we're going to mm -hmm. just kind of get ahead because there, there's a, a road stop here that I thought was important to point out. And this would be the idea of war games, like we talked about mm -hmm. with the Chaturanga. Similar type of thing. We've got war games that are starting to kind of take over this idea of role playing because people wanted to figure out, okay, what strategy can I take onto the planes of battle with me? And how can we start to figure out how people are going to behave, right? Well, there would be a homeboy by the name of Johann Christian Ludwig Helwig, otherwise known as the Master of Pages to the Duke of Brunswick. And he created his own battle emulation game. Well, see, that's, that's a whole lot of titles that I'm not sure I'd want to put on a resume. Once again, very similar to, to a style of chess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Behold, yes. Joseph Independent Master for the worst of Pages. Signature of all time. <laughs> this guy's calling himself a Master of Pages. Do we really want to hire him? He could be a character or an idiot. <laughs> Even if you abbreviate that nickname, you're still JCLH. Who the fuck wants to go by that? No. It was like, Jesus Christ, lame cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what is JCLHM undercase O capital P doing today? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know, but you've, I don't know if that abbreviation actually made that whole title shorter. Honestly, like, we probably just said the whole thing. It'd been just take just as long. He just went by Helvig. Just Helvig. Yeah. He went oh, that, well, there good you go. play. Yeah. Yeah. He figured it out. This dude was like, yeah, fuck that name. I just need to go by Helvig. <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, yeah. Helvig's badass enough. Like, yeah. Who's this guy? Ooh. Das Helvig. Das yeah. Helvig. Yeah. Helvig. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He sounds like an interesting guy here. Well, <laughs> <laughs> he would create an emulation game that would have moving metal pieces. Ooh. We would have dice rolls to determine how things moved. Computer and, and plastic, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, Joe, to amp it up, he'd even have referees scoring the goddamn results. Holy oh, shit. Yeah. Yeah. So this dude would actually kind of uh, spearhead what would be going on in <laughs> military planning and training all the way up until the 19th century, becoming known as the Kriegspiel, or War Games for short. I mean, that's fine. That's better than Master of Pages. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not over that yet, but now I'm just imagining all the referees uh, basically just being like the referee or the slash announcer from Beer Fest. Oh, God. <laughs> He's just down there. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, He's I... the firebolt! Yeah, <laughs> dude, I, I I would love to see what this is like, especially if you've ever seen that um, that chess match. I think it was in Australia in Melbourne, where that dude like knows he's got the kill move, and everyone's shouting around him, and he just starts like waving his arms once he does it. You know, um, <laughs> that's kind of what I think is happening here. But 
Okay. Yeah. yeah I well, mean, that, that, that sounds right. <laughs> probably, probably much more missionary than that. Um, <laughs> anyway, though, we would get to a point in 1920s where a book called uh, Harpo Speaks, which was a biography of Harpo Marx. Um, I have no idea who the fuck Harpo Marx is. Somebody oh. out there will. I mean, I, I can't believe you don't know uh, the adventures of Harpo Marx. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I feel like an and, imposter. And his, like an imposter. yeah, his uh, his times down the Mississippi River with his good old friend um, Huck. <laughs> I was trying to think of another. I was going to say Groucho. Where, where is Huck he going Groucho. with this? Uh, <laughs> I was going to say I was really hoping he didn't improvise too much, and then we have to like worry about getting a lawyer on retainer. So I'm very right. happy that's where it went. <laughs> yeah, I was. I'm not going to like you know go into the pre-revised uh, editions of Huckleberry Finn um, <laughs> with his yeah, we... uh, his clever nicknaming um, system for his buddy Jim. Yeah, and, yeah. And moving we on, don't. Yeah, moving we're not on going from that there. point as quickly as we possibly can. Breakneck speed. There would be a book named Assassin Games, all right? Mm -hmm. um, or not a book, but this would be a, a story that would pop up in publications at the time, specifically in Harpo Speaks, which was also a role-playing game where people would play the role of an assassin. There would be an assassin target. And I'm assuming they they, to they, they talked in the pan-Atlantic you know, way of this when they would find the target and go, yeah, dead, buddy. And then that would be the end of the game. <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the assassin games. So maybe this is like the like the murder mystery party of like of the twenties. Since all of our murder mystery parties take place in the nineteen twenties. Of course. They couldn't have like a modern thing going on at the time. Like so they have to go further back and go with assassin games. Easily could be the case. I mean it they were it's kind of like the folks in Star Wars living the Star Wars, you know, yeah. back in the Harpo Speaks era, <laughs> these folks were living <laughs> the mob games. So they, they, maybe they did this to kind of uh, tone it down a little bit, you know? Maybe. Yeah. It was just their way of coping. Yeah, I would definitely say so. Um, but tell you what, we, we would advance from here. Okay. So now we're actually getting away from just ways to role play, but then actually start to build this fantasy epic and some of this this dialogue that we would end up seeing as the foundation of what RPGs would become. Um, has anyone here hold of or heard of J.R.R. Tolkien by chance? Hmm, name hmm. sounds roughly familiar. Yeah, he's like he's like, a, like an indie writer guy, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, not very Definitely. well known. No, oh, yeah, no, not yeah. at all. He's as underground as a septic tank. I mean, he he only had uh, a couple minor works in 1936 and 1954. Mm -hmm. uh, a little ditty by the name of Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe not. I mean, mm -hmm. but he would end up writing those those works that, once again, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever even heard of. Um, but this this medieval tone would start to, you know, blend its way. This is fantasy stuff would start to make its way into the role-playing or role-playing uh you know sphere but before we got there there would be one more important thing uh on our way to the the modern rpg which would be known as the society for creative anachronism in the 1960s who could possibly think of what that is um i feel like this is an organization that come up comes up somewhere in like the 10th season of the show because we needed another another group to like spice things up and give our protagonists like you know a new bunker to live in for a bit 
uh, aka the rest of the series. And I think that's what this is. Or this is the point where you're like, you know what? What's Eric Roberts doing? We need a, a cameo from someone that you may not remember, but might generate a little bit of buzz. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's still got the Impala Soyman. Yeah. Which, again, not, love Supernatural, by the way. Well, I'm not, Supernatural is not get boring for me. Watch it the whole way through. Yeah. Oh. Back to the side of creative anachronism. Here we go. Yeah, basically, this is a group of folks that would come together who were dedicated to the idea of preserving the medieval times. Oh, uh, okay. So, yeah. did they did they LARP then? You think? I was gonna say, is this LARPing or is this like a, um, is this some sort of fair, run fair type deal? <laughs> yeah, what, maybe what's going on. Mm -hmm. So that that's a very good question that y'all ask and. So my understanding of this was that this is the beginning of that Ren Fair type of mentality. Um, the LARPing would definitely come later, though. Um, but this was just the idea of, okay, we've got stuff that people aren't celebrating a whole lot. Let's, let's make sure we don't forget about it. Um, kind of like what we do here. We talk about properties we hope people aren't forgetting about. Yeah, so. even though they only happened about 15 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, either way. You hey, know, we have our niche. We yeah. like it here. We enjoy it. We're having fun. Hey, a lot of stuff happens. It's easy to forget things. Yeah, very. I forget things all the time. <laughs> yeah. And to the 14 people now who listen into us and appreciate that stuff, that's why we're here. That's why mm -hmm. we're doing this. We are just waiting for the day that we can say the dozens and dozens of fans. <laughs> we <have. laughs> but we only currently have the one dozen, and we love every single one of you. Yes, yeah, we, we do. absolutely do. But either way, this would be the point where we finally get into the meat of our conversation today. Yes. So anyone familiar with a, a name called Gary Gygax? Yes, yes. He's famous and from Wisconsin, and he didn't even have to kill anyone to do it. So we know <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Hometown hero, state of Wisconsin. Thank you, Mr. Gygax, for being cool and not doing the murder. Yes. Or in his case not doing what was cool because it was still kind of the height of nerdiness, especially yeah. because yeah, like the apex, like the, he probably could be a king of nerds. Honestly, <laughs> I think he yes. is. I mean, he, yeah. he's in himself a meme. He's appeared in Futurama for, I think at least two episodes as himself, not like a character who just voiced. He was him <laughs> as Gary Gygax said, he, he brought dice with him to roll to make decisions in the episode pretty yep. great yeah absolutely dude so there there was a moment here you know after our, our medieval friends would create the society for creative anachronism gary gygax and some of his friends in the late 60s early 70s they would begin looking at uh tolkien his works right and some of the same things we just talked about whether it was the war games or whether it was just some of these simulation based games and begin to actually build conventions around this stuff. Um, so we're talking like early tabletop experiences, um, which you know have only gotten more complicated and more expensive since then. Ah, well, that they have. Right, yeah. you are, Mark. <laughs> yeah, as, as Joe and I can attest, we've been to a couple of these tabletop adventure uh, conventions, mm -hmm. and some of those tables have just—I mean, we're talking retirement funds. Just yeah. Don't get me wrong really freaking cool by the yeah. way like they are 
awesome the amount of work and production that goes into these tabletop games now like uh freaking like is it warhammer yes four thousand forty thousand i don't know i was blown away by like again like miniature painting and the mechs that were in it because you know i love me a giant robot or two Mm -hmm. um yeah like holy crap are these games cool yeah well, and it's because of a couple things. Like, they're already kind of cool, these figures and some of these landscapes. They're already cool out of the box, but then people will go through a ton of time and effort to paint them, to mm-hmm. sculpt them, to make them look a certain way. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely amazing. And this is the earliest, like, iterations of people doing this was in the 70s, late 60s. So, Gary would be joined by his friend uh, Jeff Perrin of Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Lake Geneva! Yep. Uh, and- <laughs> uh, fun fact, used to have the Playboy Mansion in it. Fun yeah. fact, I used mm-hmm. to work there after it was that. the Playboy Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Again, fantastic asterisks you included there, Chelsea. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's great. Well... <laughs> These these couple of just lady slayers would create the Wargaming Society, right? Um, and <laughs> they would develop this 1967 like set of rules uh, based on a game called the Siege of Rodenberg or Bodenberg. Sorry, it's a B. It's Bodenberg, um, who was itself created by uh, Henry Bodenstedt. And uh, these rules would be published uh, and created into its own version of this game, which would be called Chainmail. So chainmail would actually be you know like some of the uh it would be the precursor to dungeons and dragons um so as we talked about a couple times here people have really taken to tolkien's works and some of these other fantasy novels at the time and it would begin to snowball uh, after chainmail kind of picks this up so yeah ultimately uh 1971 there would be a fellow by the name of david arneson and he would also create uh some role-playing games here uh, also kind of based in this fictional space and he would call it uh, Blackmore. And so this would further kind of uh, build on this, like once again, growing snowball of RPG elements. And so he would give us some of these building blocks that we end up seeing consistently for the next 50 years. And these would be things uh, like hit points, experience points, uh, character levels, you know, different types of uh, armor classes. I mean, you name it, this guy kind of, starts all of this back in 1971. Um, so ultimately, who here has heard the term dungeon crawl before? Oh, <laughs> oh, nay, I have never heard of such a thing. <laughs> Wait, are we still doing that thing? We're pretending like we haven't heard of something, but we really actually have because everyone's heard of it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we do. <doing> <laughs> oh, okay, okay, okay. I mean, no, I've never heard of that. <laughs> <laughs> no. We don't, we're not dorks and nerdy fun people at all. We never do these things. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're cool. Do you physically crawl? And yeah, it's just like a, do you have to go to a dungeon? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just like a pub crawl, guys. You put on your heaviest armor and you just get on all fours and you get wasted and you just try to bump into what comes next. Yeah, um, I, I'm kind of fine with that. Like, that should be a trend. And like, I'm trying to drink in a full set of armor and go from bar to bar. That's a challenge right there. Or if you're a female trying to drink in barely any armor at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And we're like, we're talking real armor, not, not fantasy armor. Like it's like you are head to toe metal. 
So I get to wear a real suit of armor? Real suit of armor. Everything's protected. We're going to need a team for the bathroom, I think. <laughs> no, you just go. It's like... It, it's like the it's like the Tour de France. You just go. It's getting a little rusty in here. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We shouldn't do that ever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, at least well, like have like a tetanus waiver involved, because <laughs> that will rust. Well, maybe they should have written that into the old rules of these games, but the. The dungeon crawl would honestly <laughs> actually represents kind of what we mentioned. Uh, just think of different maps, right? People design different maps. You explore these maps together. And as you go, there are certain points on these, or it can even be randomized, where events happen, encounters happen, things of that nature, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, players uh, in, in these types of games, though, they have the ability to set their own goals. Uh, sometimes you can even... Uh, kind of work with your your game master beforehand to create different scenarios and this would be the point where Arneson and Gygax would kind of come together um, they would literally smash their ideas together and that's how we get this this D&D &D version that would kind of propel us into the the modern RPG age so ultimately 1974 is the big year though like this is this is where D and D finally steps out for the world to see. It sparkles a bit. Um, oh, <laughs> this is this is where suddenly uh, it takes its glasses off, and the dude in the film realizes, "Oh my gosh, behind those glasses was this cute girl this whole time." I don't believe I. How could I not see this? Yeah. Or Clark She's... Kent. Or Clark Kent. <laughs> or Clark Kent. Which, to to the credit of both Nerdy Hot Chick and Clark Kent. Robert Downey Jr. once did come in second place in a Robert Downey Jr. lookalike contest. So there is that. It happens. It happens. It's it's like it's up there with Ernie Hudson uh, losing out to Arsenio Hall for the voice of Winston on the Ghostbusters, the real also, Ghostbusters cartoon. Can't believe that. But yeah, <laughs> this guy just sounds like more of a Winston than you. But <laughs> I'm Winston. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, so this is where it would happen, dude. This is where D&D &D makes its triumphant debut. And so Gary Gygax would actually create a company uh, which uh, was called Tactical Study uh, Studies Rules, or abbreviated to TSR. Like most of the places you see it now, uh, TSR is going to be what you'll see from the now defunct company, which would end up rolling into Wizards of the Coast, oh, if, yeah. you, if, you, if you're familiar with that. Mm -hmm. Which is now owned by Hasbro. Yeah. Because in... At least in the toy world, you either like, you know, basically everything just becomes Hasbro eventually. Yeah. They'll buy you. You just wait. Yeah, like if 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 any of the three of us becomes part toy, I mean it will probably be owned by Hasbro. So they will. They'll just they'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> well, but anyway, it's time to go back to fighting with the legends of yore. Yes. Yes. TSR published the game. Um and this is uh, something that was really interesting to RPGs. It's not unique to RPGs, mm -hmm. but it's it's very uh, it's very specific on the journey we're going to take here. There would be a lot of competitors in this short window in the mid to late seventies who would appear. Now, I did not live through the late seventies as as everybody else here. <laughs> on, yep, on the show, we did not live through the seventies, so it's not like we can really speak to this from personal experience, but. Ultimately, though, throughout the 70s, 
the campaign settings that would appear in Dungeons and Dragons um, would only continue to snowball, whether it was through Dungeons and Dragons or if it was through a competitor. Um, at one point, though, Dungeons and Dragons would go from what was you know a fairly vanilla uh, set of rule sets, right? Mm-hmm. And in the late seventies, they would put a bunch of their time into what we called uh, advanced D and D. Yeah. So, uh, has anyone here looked at some of the outlines of advanced D and D before? I have, but not in quite a long time. Mm-hmm. I've played a couple of campaigns with friends and things like that, but it's been a while. Yeah, and even like because like now, like modern, because eventually advanced D and D is just a modern D and D. They just kind of like I don't know. I don't want to say they get rolled into it because yeah, rolled. <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah. So like advanced D and D was like kind of like you think of like Dungeons and Dragons two. It's like the sequel to the original game, mm-hmm. and it just introduced a lot more game mechanics, a lot more rules, and it was fairly complex. So instead of saying you know just Dungeons and Dragons two, it became advanced Dungeons and Dragons, uh, and then eventually further down the line, they didn't want to have it, so it was like oh having advanced in there might turn off new players because it seems like, oh, I shouldn't start here. It's advanced Dungeons and Dragons. I should look for Dungeons and Dragons. Like, ah, fuck it. We'll just go back to calling it Dungeons and Dragons. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, if you were looking for it back then, I mean, you were probably a fairly limited group of people, right? But but ultimately, though, like, yeah, advanced D&D would act as a, a precursor for even stuff we'd be playing 30 years later on consoles, right? Mm-hmm. Um, advanced D&D would get to the point where it would be so granular that there would be specific rules for passing um, like a speech check or maybe finding uh, a specific piece of loot in a location, you know, and providing the framework for acquiring those things. Um, so it, it was kind of like, you know, random number generators in disguise, if you want to look at it that way. Um, there Sexy were ways. random number generators. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're going to be shifting your your pants after you see this <laughs> this percentage of success. Um, but but yeah, I mean, this would be the the evolution, you know, of the series. Um, so ultimately, though, at this point in time, the RPG is an is a paper based thing, and still is even today in in, in most cases, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're writing down. Uh, your characters' progressions, you know, their skill points, things like that. Like we're we're doing this in the most analog way possible. So we're getting to the point now where technology is starting to catch up a little bit, and the RPG just kind of finds its niche there in, yeah. in the computers. Yeah, crazy that that nerdy people who play Dungeons and Dragons are the same people that you know made computers. <laughs> Odd that those two would just naturally roll right into each other. I'm shocked. I tell you, I'm shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Not again, like I am not making fun of these people. I definitely taught Dungeons and Dragons as an elective at my school. So I'm right there with them. Oh, as well as you should. I mean, it it makes perfect sense to me that nerds, which I honestly personally identify as one, uh, nerds for the time would be college students and professors who who had access to to computers yeah and who had access right. to these things it totally makes sense that like the same nerds that were uh you know in college playing D were the ones who started making these games um on computers because when you think of computers in the 70s uh you had what like 
the Apple One, and that thing could like you know basically be like a like a Mister Spell. <laughs> That's that was its ability, and like you weren't playing anything on that. Like it was literally like I can use this as like a digital typewriter and that's that's its job it's literally a word processor so these things were using like mainframe style computers so when you think like when we put a man on the moon and like a whole room was a computer those are what they're kind of you know playing these games off of and as a result you got something that was pretty sophisticated for that time like so like when we think like early video games what are some of the early video games we think of well, in this case, the earliest credited mainframe computer game would be called Dungeon. Oh, Dungeon, yeah. So even like, let's think of like, not even like uh, RPG games. So what's like one of the first like old video games you ever played? Pong is right there. <laughs> and Pong at least had something for you to visually look at. Yeah. Right? Yep. <laughs> it had something there. So yeah. I think you're a little square bouncing back and forth. But I think like even things like Space Invaders. Um, yeah. And it's a pretty, pretty simple graphics. A lot of these games that were out during that time uh, for the, like the, uh, the, these are early RPGs. They're mostly just text, just, text. just mm -hmm. text, but then like you started getting some with like simple graphics and you started getting, they, they, they kept getting like more advanced to the point where like, even by the mid seventies, like you had games where you had an entire party of characters that all had like their own like skill sets and traits you had NPCs with AI in them and you had like these massive worlds. Granted, again, they're simple worlds, um, mostly text, simple pictures, but they're really advanced. And this stuff was coming out before like the arcade games of the eighties. So this was stuff that was like, like you just couldn't get your hands on. Yeah. I mean, these were, these were actual titles that um, one of them should be familiar is Ultima, like Ultima, mm -hmm would be probably the winner out of all these right oh yeah. easily um, yeah but there would be wizardry and then there would also be uh the sword of fargal and so these were some of the earliest ones that once again these were text-based mm -hmm. and uh you know you had commands you could enter in and so it, it's just the technology wasn't quite there yet right no, but, I well mean, also and you weren't playing it if you didn't understand computers at all either mm -hmm. because a normal person wouldn't understand how to enter in commands and, and do things like that too. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. Yeah, like like Chelsea said, like you had to enter commands. It wasn't like just point and click. Mm -hmm. <laughs> no. You had to tell that machine what the hell to do. Mm -hmm. Um but even like for like primitive stuff, like you had Moria that came out in 1975. This thing yep. had wireframe graphics to it. Yeah. And you had like, I mean, pretty primitive like 3D like corridors, but like, I don't know, think um like the original Star Fox on like the Super Nintendo. And that's what this game was close to putting out. And this was in the 70s. Again, the computer took up a whole room, <laughs> yeah. but that's what it was doing. <laughs> and only like 12 people knew how to play it. But Only 12. Just the 12 <laughs> friends. Yeah. <laughs> Almost as many viewers as we have. And, <laughs> you know, uh, so one of the issues that obviously comes up with this in these early RPGs is that the majority of them are just action based, right? Mm -hmm. Like you just basically have your commands and you fight things and you move on. Like the, there's no narrative. There's no big, like overarching experience here. It's, it's really just, okay, I go from one thing and I kill that and I go to the next. So obviously these are still very innovative for their time. Do not get me wrong, but this is the experience that we lived with in the early to, to mid seventies. Um, but once again, we mentioned Ultima, though. 
being kind of the the phoenix that rises out of the ashes of the early RPG. And for for fans of RPGs, Ultima's been around for you know it's still around. Yeah, <laughs> it's still it's there. Still here <laughs> now. Um, which really rests on the back of Richard Garriott, who is the original designer uh, of of the game. Um, so very very innovative, especially from what we just talked about. We've kind of left behind this this text based world, and instead we now have like an actual interface, like a simplistic one, but we actually have an interface where we've got either different stats that are kind of there. Um, and we've actually got like a window pane too that offers this, whether it's just like a static art piece, right? Like Ken Joe mentioned here, they're static art pieces, but you can choose to move around and the pieces of art change based on where you want to go. Um, so you get quite a bit more with some of these early uh, Ultima games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess, has anyone actually played one of these like crazy early RPG games, whether it's Ultima or any other ones? I've only ever seen video of them. I've never actually played myself. Yeah, same boat. Like, I mean, my my first family computer of like Windows like 3.5 or whatever uh, did not, was not built for gaming. That. <laughs> <laughs> so did not do a lot of computer gaming. It's really built for word processing, wasn't it? Yeah, and it had like, <laughs> like you know, like Ski Free was rocking on that thing. I was gonna say, didn't it have that sweet pinball game? Come on! Uh, did you know oh. it didn't even have the pinball game? It did not have pinball 3D. It was too old for it. <laughs> <laughs> too old for pinball 3D. MS Paint, it was then. Yeah, and Minesweeper. <laughs> yeah, Minesweeper. I had this weird like dinosaur game for it too. Like it was, it was a CD-ROM based game, and like you could you had like find dinosaurs from like the three different eras, and it was fun. But that's all we had. <laughs> that that's what it was. No, just, no sweet RPGs. Just the way you delivered that, I can. It was fun. I played it a few times. Tell like your eyebrows have to be kind of pointing upward. You're like, yeah, it was fun. It was fun. Uh, fun. Yeah, that was some interesting times. And I'm ultimately, what of... always what always happens? It was like a weird Noah's Ark where like you know the extinction events coming, so like let's just go pop around <laughs> and save some dinosaurs. So you have this weird space arc of dinosaurs with no plans to really save them. It's like no, we're just <laughs> grabbing like a few species which by the way the ones we're grabbing these are just the popular ones that are in all the children's books so it's not like we're even gonna like reproduce them it's like nope we're just grabbing like 15 dinos i just get these 15 dinos we're gonna call it a day just a collector that's it <laughs> just it and you just got you have to get it before the meteor falls down so you basically yeah. gave them the idea for pokemon i mean right there <laughs> you just you just didn't know at that time what it was no clue. That's where that's where my deep love for collecting them all came. <laughs> well, fortunately for innovators of the time, okay, they did know what they had. They did know what kind of what kind of building blocks they had that they could work with, okay. And so, after the seventies would end, um, the eighties would kind of tinker a little bit with the formula that we've talked about, right? Like they start to build on this a little bit. We get some better graphics. Um, one of the earliest examples that I can remember because I played the series was Might and Magic. Um, it would debut in 84, and I think the most recent entry was actually in 2014, if memory serves. Um, have either of you driven that Might and Magic area before? No. Uh, was that a Might and no. Magic person? Not a Might and Magic person. 
Well, that's okay. If we haven't played it before, um, Might and Magic would actually be so successful that it would spin off from its main series and get into some other areas. Um, the core experience of Might and Magic, though, really just amps up what we've kind of seen with some of these earlier uh, like window pane based RPGs, okay? So Might and Magic would have better graphics. You'd have a little bit more of an environment to act with, you know, act with. It's still turn-based combat, okay? So that part of it hasn't really changed. What really has changed a bit here though, and this is why I chose to make it a footnote, is because there's much more of an importance on statistics, what kinds of weapons that you have, uh, the spells that you're using, and the areas that you can, can explore are just a shitload bigger. So we've we've gone outside of the the simplistic text environments, okay? And we're starting to get into you know more of that that modern first person combat element, right? Um, even though it's simplistic first person movement, like we've talked about with some of these static screens that make you feel like you're moving. Um, the random encounters just have better artwork behind them. And so we're, once again, we're kind of continuing to polish what we've already seen. Um, so that's where Might and Magic kind of takes us. This type of idea would also be further advanced uh, with the Bard's Tale. And uh, I guess from the Bard's Tale, is that a name that e either of you recognize? <laughs> no. What I'm <laughs> learning is I have no knowledge of what happened in the 80s when it comes to... <laughs> <laughs> these RPG games. Um, I uh, I assume that what happens is a is a very bulky, strong, magic wielding individual who may or may not have played Superman in a previous movie <laughs> saves your life, and to repay him, you write a song about him that will be stuck in everyone's heads for at least all of one quarantine. And uh, will annoy him to no end. And that's a bard's tale. Well, I pick up what you're putting down. We're, we're just a little bit left to center here. Um. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, I, uh, yeah. I mean, apparently I'm, I'm going to toss a coin, but really someone should just throw me a bone. Um. <laughs> uh, yeah, really, it's, it's a little bit more simplistic than that. But the, but the bard's tale would actually end up being um, fairly influential in this once again window pane rpg style um it was created by interplay which if you've heard of interplay before these would be some of the like pre uh fallout developers mm. so so these the folks in interplay would actually you know be pretty well entrenched in the rpg world for quite a while um the dungeon crawl style is still here so that part of it's the same um the idea of like xp and uh, skills and and you know, honing in that that stuff through combat, once again, still the same. The biggest thing here that was really an advancement uh, from an immersion standpoint was that when you interact with people in the environment, when you interact with enemies, now we're at a point where processing is kind of caught up a little bit to where those things are actually animated. And I don't mean animated in the sense that this is like, you know, James Cameron's avatar. <laughs> um we're, we're talking about characters who could maybe like raise an eyebrow or open their mouth a little bit right um but still it's 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 quite a bit of a change from stuff we've seen before um before this point we just see static photos of things we don't see actual movement 
Um, so what was really great about the Bard's Tale was that it maintained what Might and Magic already did, mm -hmm. but then upgrading the interface and the graphics to a point where it's like, wow, this is only a year later. Um, and so it, it, once again, it's, this, it's just the fact that we're continuing to, to polish you know, what we're getting here. Now, on the other side of the planet, though, Ooh. during this time, the year would be 1987. Joe and I have been on this earth for a year. One whole year. <laughs> Some of us are yet to arrive. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, once again, we would be introduced to a fairly independent game uh, by, and I might mispronounce this, but has anyone ever heard of Final Fantasy? Final Fantasy? Yeah, yeah. I believe it's Final Fantasy. <laughs> Final. <laughs> I was going to come up with something really stupid, but then Chelsea like beat me to it and her sounded really good. So I'm like, wow. I can't, I can't just like steal her thunder there. I'm going to keep Fent to say <laughs> you, you go with what you know um well since it sounds like we've got some familiarity with this you know fairly small market uh mm -hmm. game here who wants to give a crack at what final fantasy did not all at once yeah. <laughs> but i mean this is definitely um where i remember uh this is the first rpg i played um obviously not the year it came out um, it would be a while before I'd play uh, Final Fantasy. And this is definitely the style of RPG that I loved, um, mm -hmm. was this more Eastern uh, approach to making RPGs. Because before before this, like they're pretty much dungeon crawlers. They are, um, you are focused on one character and you can have like a party of people like played by other people and you go through like hopefully beating the dungeon that you're in. Um, and now we get turn-based striking, which is really fun. Which, uh, which, I don't know. I think that's where Chelsea, you and I live when it comes to RPGs. We love our turn-based stuff. Yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. Yep. So we've got that. We also um, get uh, like the overall look of what you have, too. Um, I think a lot of games before this, um, they tried being as serious as they can with their character design but of course they are limited by the graphics they have um mm. but even the better graphic ones like again they're very serious looking characters and instead here we get these adorable little sprites yeah they are not taking themselves too seriously and the, oh my gosh the freaking wizard you can't even see his face he's got his big <laughs> hat and his robe uh hilariously cute um, so we get like static weapons and I think you can upgrade your weapons. I kind of like, uh, like we, we've talked about in previous, uh, games when we were in like in the side stitch where like, you'll get like a weapon when you go from town to town, you can upgrade to something new and like, they'll have the weapons will have different stats to them. Um, and you still get like a, some dungeon, you get still get dungeon crawling, but you do get this much bigger, like world map and zoning, um, this time around. Yeah, and you also got like random encounters too, right? Like you mm -hmm. would, you'd be traversing the map, and then at some point you hit an enemy battle, and yes. and that that's where I think some of the biggest uh, variables tend to come in these games. You know, if you're going through a brand new area that you haven't been to before, and suddenly an enemy pops up, and you're just haplessly uh, <laughs> trying to fight them, <laughs> yeah, you have no choice but to go find that next town, mm -hmm. find that next weapon. And then come back and try it again. 
Yep. And hopefully you don't like, you know, I guess this is a much later issue. Like I've experienced in several RPGs where like you get to a point and you save it, but it turns out where you saved it, you can't go back to a town. So if you lose to the boss, like fuck, I can't go back and level up. Like I'm just doomed. Just doomed. (laughs) Yeah. That's unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of how games were at the time though. I mean, that that's not just an RPG thing. This is also some of the point and click games were the same way. Um, some of the adventure games are the same way. It's like you just if you miss one detail, the whole game's screwed. <laughs> so mm-hmm. so yeah, we we had some tougher lessons back in the eighties that we we've we've kind of evolved from since then, haven't we? Yeah. Um <laughs> not not much, but some. <laughs> well, Final Fantasy would be obviously a big development though. Right. I mean, it, it took familiar, but it put it into a, a format that was, I think, easily consumable or at least uh, maybe more accessible than some of the previous, you know, PC based games. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're not having to enter in your command pumps <laughs> and things like that anymore. <laughs> it's it's a it's a game that's put out at more of a, a mass scale for mass audiences. You don't have to be super proficient in in computers in order to play so we talked about interplay with the bard's tale in 85 well a couple of years later they would come back with a game called wasteland and wasteland would actually be a game if you remember was actually uh redone not too long ago um so this game would actually still maintain a good amount of like social relevance even you know 25 years later um but ultimately, it would be another one of these RPG games from Interplay that operates on you know tabletop rules, just like a lot of the early RPGs did. Um, but this one would actually kind of crank up the importance of skills. So if you wanted to interact with your environment, like whether a door was locked or you wanted to pick something up or you wanted to talk to a specific person, your skills would have to be at a proficiency that would allow you to do it. And so it built on some of these uh, frameworks that were established from some of these early games in the 80s, but really cranked them up quite a bit. Um, Has anyone here, though, (laughs) this is something that was unique to Wasteland. Have you heard of the idea of a persistent world before? Persistent world. Is that like where solicitation is like not only legal, but encouraged? I think I know what you're going for, which is like <laughs> it's like the sixer view of uh, of the Oasis and Ready Player One. Where yeah, <laughs> we can fill up eighty percent of the screen before inducing seizures. <laughs> um, yeah. Otherwise, is it kind of like we're a predetermined, randomly generated world? Would be my so, guess. You're you're not far off. Um, basically, what this would do is uh, be some of the building blocks for what would be the Elder Scrolls and for Fallout, which is when you interact with the environment in a certain way, whether it's killing a certain character or performing a certain action, those things have a a domino effect for other events that can occur in the game. Mm. So it's, it's, it's definitely treating the world that you would interact with just like like you would in real life. Like there Yeah. <laughs> there, yeah, there are certain things you do that will impact what happens later. So 
Um, yeah, kind of like when you uh, you take a job as a theoretical physicist, but you took it because you had a degree, you had a theoretical degree in physics. There's a huge <laughs> impact that's going to happen after that. <laughs> exactly. Yes, and and just like trying to uh, you know try to deal with the job that you got that you're not qualified for, the same thing kind of happens in Wasteland where NPCs or non-playable characters either won't listen to you or won't perform actions um, based on your standing with them or the actions that you've taken up to that point. Because you uh, don't have enough badges. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. You need more training. Yeah. <laughs> yes. It is the same type of idea. Um, what was unique to Wasteland though, was that as a, as a, a, like a video game that was also based on an RPG, um, this actually came with a book of things that you would read at certain points in the game, because if we were, we've talked about this in a couple episodes where earlier computers just didn't have enough memory. <laughs> yeah. So they needed to incorporate a change or an ending book uh, along with the game. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it is the exact reason for why they did that. So yes, you had a companion novel that came along with wasteland that you could read through. Um, and yeah, it would give you some more context on what was going on in the game at that point in time. So, but, uh, speaking of, of, uh, you know, early fallout styles of games and, you know, like the, the Skyrim that we're all familiar with, mm -hmm. who ended up playing the earliest Elder Scrolls games? <clears throat> Not I. Not I either. <laughs> so we swear we like RPGs. This is just, uh. An era that is a little before our time. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You know, it, this is kind of a first for this show where we're trying to tell history that some people may have forgot. And it's it's not often where we're the ones that didn't know the history that we're trying to tell. But <laughs> in this case, though, it's fortunate that I came because um, I had I had older brothers that were very much into PC gaming. Like long before we had this culture of you know, building your own stuff, searching out the hardware. Um, PC Master and, Race. PC yeah. Master Race. <laughs> Long before that. I don't that, know why that needed a song. but It definitely one. did, though. It was a good choice. <laughs> well, it needs a song because we can't afford the production that would no. you know, grant us anything else. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and one day, when we get a Patreon, you'll unlock the Ford Taurus theme song that I made in high school. <laughs> <laughs> Not to mention the idea that we've bounced around with Joe playing the bongos uninterrupted for 90 minutes. <laughs> Are there going to be lyrics or is it just him pounding it out on the drums? Uh, if you've ever seen the old GoDaddy commercials with Jean-Claude Van Damme, yes. it's oh. all bongos and eyebrow movements and a creepy smile. <laughs> oh, <Jesus>. no. <laughs> and then eventually when I hit minute 90, I just say, it's go time. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> well oddly enough the year 1994 would be go time for the elder scrolls uh franchise to kick off right um so it would kick off with a game called arena which was you know early first person uh led like melee combat in real time and so we're essentially shifting the narrative of these rpg games from you know pretty rigid turn-based actions right and now we're looking at massive wilderness. We've got environments that you can interact with really however you want to choose. 
right? Like you can you can go off and do things that have nothing to do with the main storyline, <laughs> and then come on back later. Yeah. Um, so it's it's really kind of setting the tone for what we would get almost you know fifteen years later. Yeah. Just getting completely lost in side quests. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean. That's why it takes so long to film The Witcher is because Henry Cavill just keeps getting lost in side quests. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, man. It, it's it's basically like a trip to Costco. You go in there. <laughs> if you don't have a plan, you're going to be there a while and you're going to come out with stuff that you never even knew you needed. $500 yeah. poorer. <laughs> yep. And a TV that doesn't fit in any vehicle you own. Oh. We made this it work. This happened we- one time, Joe. <laughs> it happened. It happened to me twice. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Not a well, good learner, are you? <laughs> no. No. It takes a few times. Well, I'll, I'll try anything twice. It, it's a funny parallel, and I'll, I'll tell you why. It's because, just like how Joe doesn't understand the space of the things that he tries to transport TVs in. I do not get geometry. <laughs> well... Elder Scrolls would finally evolve us from this like window pane adventure screen, okay, to finally having the actual visual interactions of the first person view be the majority of what we're working with. So we're taking this space that previously was filled up with like statistics and, you know, commands that needed it for the time because that's all you could do with the hardware. And now we've got a more, much more simplistic way of interacting with the world with more to look at. Um, so Elder Scrolls would, you know, obviously build on this and just get better at it as we went. But this was one of those first, you know, pit stops on the way uh, to really getting to a, a fully immersed experience. Now, before we we sign off, because we're going to have to split this up into two parts, as we mentioned before. <laughs> <laughs> There's just way, way too much going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, who would remember 1997 and Blizzard Entertainment? 97 and Blizzard Entertainment. That is before my relationship with Blizzard started. Oh, I think that was pretty deep into StarCraft territory for me. Maybe. Yeah, yeah StarCraft 2. I think that's no, not two, just one. Two just comes out much later. Starcraft. Much yeah. later. Yeah. Original StarCraft, a little bit of Brood War going on. Yeah, that's where I was. Uh, that was that was a lot of my interactions too. Would have been uh, at that point would have been Warcraft two, Tides of Darkness, and yeah. then and then Starcraft. So Blizzard really did have a strong grasp on the strategy based games, but they would also come out with Diablo in nineteen ninety seven. Ooh, that's 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 an unheard of game. <laughs> never never played Diablo. No one in this current party owns a Diablo game, the same game, on at least three different platforms. <laughs> My husband has bought Diablo 3 three different times. <laughs> <laughs> he has it on PC, he yep. has it on the PlayStation, and he has it on the Xbox. Oh, that's great. You never know who you're going to have over and what, what, what platform they prefer. Matt yeah, is prepared he, for all of this. He keeps joking around with me about getting it on the Switch, too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I feel like at one point, like, you should just get that for him. 
Probably. Like, it's just be a gift. Like, Merry Christmas, Matt. You're going to do this eventually. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, obviously, it doesn't sound like he has the original one uh, in that many different forms. But three would obviously be, you know, one of the 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 shining, you know, areas of this this franchise. Um, really, what's really cool about Diablo is that when when it did come out, um, and to help you visualize this, because Joe has already played, you know, Starcraft before. Um, you do have that. Uh, I don't know if you want to call it like bird's eye view, but kind of tilted a little bit like on a diagonal axis. Mm-hmm. And, and you basically are playing through randomly generated dungeons. So it's to the point where, yeah, some of the plot points obviously are going to stay the same, right? But the way that you interact with the environment is not going to be the same every single time. So compared to some of the I mean, obviously, uh, Bethesda was starting to make some waves here and changing the the narrative a little bit. But Diablo really helped kind of refine this a bit more to where you're kind of on your toes no matter what point you're playing this game. So, right. mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a game changer compared to, once again, some of these very simplistic RPGs where, like, you're literally typing in commands to the point where you're interacting in a in a screen that's pretty detailed um, pretty good graphics, and you've got a point and click, you know, uh, way of interacting with the environment. So yeah, though though a bizarre choice going with uh, with Diablo because to my knowledge, El Diablo is definitely Spanish for like a Central American fighting chicken. <laughs> that would be El Pollo Diablo, Joe. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> uh, but but. Ultimately, though, this tells you quite a bit about what technology can do. So we've gone from, once again, we've we've gone from computer mainframes that you're just typing text into that you pretty much need a goddamn degree to be able to play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, because, and, I mean, you have to be enrolled in the university to play the damn thing anyway. Yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And in that time, so just a little bit over 20 years, you know, we've gone from uh, needing an education to play a video game to just needing to purchase a computer, which once again, in 1997, you still needed to have some scratch to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> um, but I think what the, the, the big thing here is that what I wanted to really drive home as a point, because we were trying to get to a point after this whole discussion, was that I think what made RPGs so hard for people to really wrap their heads around was the barrier of being part of an educational, you know, affiliation, right? Or having the money to afford all these things. Because I remember growing up, liking RPGs, people would kind of make fun of you. You were always the nerd. You were always the geek, right? Because the awareness wasn't there yet. Mm-hmm. I mean, compare it to now. Like, compare how accessible an RPG is. You can play on your cell phone. You can play it on any console that's on the market today. And trying to put yourself in the perspective of accessibility back in the mid 70s, early 80s. Well, yeah. And off of that, too, like even if you think about like D&D, especially early D&D, before you had a lot of the there's a lot of guides and books and tools that now make things a lot easier. But even if you just think of like the actual math that went into sitting down and just playing the game 
also was kind of staggering. It would be enough to make people that aren't very, very interested in playing games with pretty intricate math at some times. Mm -hmm. That could turn a lot of people off, too. Yeah, because who wants to have fun with numbers? Seriously. That's <laughs> what got me. A lot of early D&D players. <laughs> <sighs> math. <laughs> well, I, I think it it it's, it is it is an interesting point, though, Chelsea, that there, there were multiple barriers to the original forms of RPGs. And I think that is the reason for why it took so long for it to you know, really anchor a lot of pop culture, not just in video games, but also popular media. Because when we talked about Tolkien very early on in this series, how long did it take for people to really start loving the fantasy worlds of Lord of the Rings on a massive scale? Yeah, right. Until I mean, the movies. <laughs> yeah, basically mm -hmm. until the late 90s. Yeah. You know, the same point that we're starting to see the changes in technology with Diablo, Bethesda, and some of the work that they've been doing at Blizzard too. So yeah, that, I think that's that's really the big takeaway here is that RPGs did have a fairly long road to get to where they did just at the 90s, which is ironically enough, where we're gonna be cutting things off today. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's a lot more to come. And, and so it, it's, it's kind of uh, an interesting point to drive home. As we mentioned in our intro, there's more RPG goodness coming your way. So stay tuned for part two of our history of the RPG series as we continue to explore the evolution of the genre. The explosive innovation, graphics, and willingness to experiment would continue for many years to come. So until next time, it is to be continued. And keep on dissecting.